does insight-driven messaging look like for sales? Like a whole lot more deals, fast. Jump on high-intent leads in the moment with Intercom, the business messenger that extends the reach of your team 24-7. Intercom creates more opportunities for you by booking meetings and collecting data from leads automatically. Take Intercom user Elegant Themes. They now convert 25% of leads through Intercom's messenger. Deals don't wait. Get them with Intercom. Go to intercom.com deals. That's intercom.com deals. Hey, it's time to jump on board the sales pipeline, see if we can't ride it all the way to shore with the man waving the flag and guiding us in. It's uh, Matt Hines. Hey, Matt. Hey, Paul. How are we doing? I'm doing good. We've missed you. You've been traveling the world. Every time I turn on TV, there you are with some famous personality. you got your arm around him. You're with uh, Elon Musk. You're with uh, Richard Branson. You're all over the place. There must be some other Matt. <laughs> what, well, wasn't you? Oh, okay. No, it wasn't me. No, we've had, we've had a couple reruns. We've had a couple recorded shows. It's summertime, Paul, and uh, had to spend a little time on the beach. I wasn't that far away from you, actually. Really? I was down... Um, with the family. So my wife is from north of San Diego, and uh, we live in Seattle, which is different weather than you have yeah, down there. You have, beach, you have beach drizzle. We have <laughs> nine months of the year more than drizzle. So um, my deal with my wife is that we will, you know, we live up here. My business is up here. We're raising kids up here. We both enjoy it up here. But every summer we go down for, you know, 10 plus days and, and uh, rent a house in uh, North County, San Diego, kind cool. of around Encinitas. And just basically have a schedule of, you know, lazy mornings, beach time, tacos, <laughs> naps, Repeat. You're talking about my daily life. This is, you know, some people, it's a hard job, but someone's got to live it, right? <laughs> That's right. Exactly here. Probably not that far away from our guest today, who's in New York, where I'm sure it is just, it is, it's not hot. It's not humid. It's New York in August, which I'm sure is just pleasant as I'll get out. Always. Always. <laughs> uh, not the New York I visited in August, but maybe this oh, year. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm East Coast bound myself next week. I'll be going a little north. I'll be in Toronto uh, next week, so hopefully not quite as bad. But uh, anyway, thanks everyone for joining us on another live episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Very excited to have our new uh, sponsor, Intercom, with us. You'll hear more about them uh, a little later, and they'll be with us uh, for much of the rest of 2019. So thanks very much, Intercom, for joining us as a proud uh, partner and sponsor here on Sales Pipeline Radio. If you're joining us live on the Funnel Media Radio Network, thanks so much for making us part of your work day. If you're joining us on the podcast, thanks so much uh, for making time for us. This is a busy time of year for me, podcast-wise, Paul. You're coming up on the college football season. A couple of my favorite college football podcasts are doing their conference previews. Uh, it takes a lot of time. So if you're fitting us into that with everything else that's out there, thanks so much. We're well over 100,000 listeners now and continue to grow uh, at an accelerated pace. So thanks for that. And every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, past, present, and future, always available up at salespipelineradio.com. We're featuring some of the best and brightest minds in sales and marketing, B2B sales and marketing every week today is absolutely no different. Very excited to have with us today, Dan Englander. He is the founder of Sales Schema, and he is also the host of the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. When uh, your team and my assistant, they asked us, like, what, how do we want to title this, uh, this episode? What I chose was the death and bright future of marketing agencies because I think you know you you have an interesting story. You started as you know what you self describe as an agency accounts grunt in New York, um, and so for anyone who has worked at an agency earlier in their career, I was at a PR agency. We all know what that means. Sort of seen the downfall of the traditional agency model, and your and your business now helps you know boutique specialist agencies win those bigger clients. 
when I say the death and bright future of marketing agencies, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the same agencies are coming out the other side, right? Talk a little bit about what that means and what you've seen in the market. Well, and I'm speaking in broad strokes here. So there's always exceptions. There's always going to be agencies that are still doing what they've done for 30 years and that are kind of making it work. But I think that there's a lot of, you know, volatility and disruption like there is with every other industry and walk of life with a little thing called the Internet. So, you know, what, what we've seen, and this is obviously goes well beyond my time and then yours is somewhat kind of a realm of consolidation, you know, where, the, where there were a few players, there were, you know, big agencies of record like Mad Men and that sort of thing. There's a lot less consolidation. There's a lot more disruption in the form of smaller shops springing up all the time and you know, a lot wider um, use of skill sets that brands can draw from. So it's like every other walk of life where it's airing towards the long tail and airing towards specialization. And the highest leverage point for, for brands, and this applies to our company too and the way that we're helping agencies, you know, working with small groups of specialists over kind of shorter, faster moving time horizons, as opposed to getting stuck with an AOR or trying to build something in-house that they don't know how to build and becomes really expensive and risky. And is frankly, you know, outside of their core competencies. So that's kind of like the by and large trend that we're seeing and that the better agencies are, are sort of, you know, getting on top of these days. We continue, though, to see in the market, I'm assuming you may see it as well, you know, especially maybe bigger organizations that are used to hiring, you know, large agencies that can do all the things. Right. And, you know, we're looking, you know, still have people talking about having an agency of record. And it certainly seems like the decentralization and the sort of rapid, you know, explosion of so many different diverse sets of media and sets of communication channels makes it really, really hard for one agency to own everything. It's not like it's like, well, it's magazine, it's newspaper, it's TV, it's radio, and that's it. Now, what was three or four options is now so many different options across digital and non-digital. I mean, is it is it possible to have a full service? I mean, as, as nice as it would be to have one agency, one throat to choke, is it feasible for any organizations to still have that? Even those large businesses, or maybe CPG brands that, that that require that big thinking? Like, how, how should companies think about that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And there's, there's obviously not like a one size fits all. This is something that we're all kind of trying to figure out now. So I'm not going to have the, the perfect answer. But the way that I see the AOR is being effective still is what it's on a niche basis. Like we've had clients that are agencies of record just for B2B industrial, and they literally take over all the needs of a factory. You know, and that I think works really well because that, the factory is like so far outside of their core competency to be dealing with marketing on almost any level. And they can, you know, once they really, really understand the business, then they can do really well and it kind of makes a lot of sense for them to handle everything. But I tend to be skeptical, you know, in this day and age about the utility of a giant agency of records serving all the needs for, you know, Coca-Cola or something like that, because there's just things are moving so fast. Um, and I think that, you know, opportunity costs tend to be a lot higher stuck with one agency for too long. But understanding of the technology, I think we've talked about this before, um, perhaps a little bit, but you're navigating something like 50,000 pieces of technology, 50,000 ad tech companies is really hard to. So to have like one group of people that is probably offloading a lot of that work to smaller shops anyway, and that's not a secret to anyone, becoming more, you know, less effective, if that makes sense. I agree with that. We're talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Dan Englander. He is the founder of Sales Schema. And talk a little bit about what you see with marketing service companies in terms of their ability to sort of find and win, win big deals. What do you see in terms of their sophistication around sales pipeline strategy? And what are some of the places, what are some of the biggest efficiencies that you tend to have to go and focus on to help them build more pipeline? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And by and large, most of the agencies that we work with and that we see out out in the market have built themselves up on referrals and personal networks, and they get to a spot where that's not working anymore, and they're well aware that it's not working. And then they kind of get into this mode of trying to do sales as a hobby and trying to do sales in their spare time, and then they get caught off course with, you know, different tactics and shiny objects when really – they, they haven't really built the, the human capital out, the actual people to go out there and hunt and do all the things that are sophisticated that you know you're talking about on your show every week. So, so where they're starting from is kind of at a place of trying to get relationships and trying to get new business more consistently out, outside of their personal networks. And that's something that we're helping them out with a lot because what we find is like a lot of the times they'll be trying to build a sales team in-house, but it's A, based on knowledge they don't have yet. And it's also a very expensive and risky proposition because your listeners and you, I'm sure, are familiar with predictable revenue and, you know, the ideal, platonic ideal of a sales team and all of these things that, that are really required to make it all work. And there's different variations on them. There's not like a perfect model for it, but it essentially takes a fulfillment, you know, a fulfillment process in the team. You know, our whole value prop is kind of being that in a, in a more ready-to-go way that's, again, practicing what we preach, specialized on a niche or on, on marketing service companies, basically, if that answers the question. It does, yeah. And I think when I when I first got started about 11 years ago, I had a friend of mine that was running an agency, and I asked him, you know, this is around 2008, and his response to sales pipeline was, well, phone used to ring, and now it doesn't ring as much anymore. So in that time, there's been a lot of flossiness around the idea of inbound. Like, if I get enough traffic, like, that's just going to solve my lead problem. Well, inbound doesn't really solve for a quantity or quality. There's no predictability around it. And even if you get an inbound lead, I mean, everyone, you know, I think for those that have gone through this process, a qualified lead doesn't close itself. So talk a little bit about sort of the idea of building deal flow, but also creating a more disciplined approach to managing and converting the opportunities that are in front of you. Yeah, it's a good question. And a lot of it is sort of like an initial mindset change from I'm talking to people, I want to talk to people when they're solution aware to I want to talk to people when they are problem aware and before they get to that solution aware stage. Because at that point, you know, with the amount of competition and the, the flood of marketing services, by the time somebody's solution aware, unless you're just really lucky, um, it's, it's, it's unlikely you're going to be in touch with them on a level that's quantifiable enough to sustain your agency. So the first thing is kind of getting somebody for us to be partnered with in the agency that is excited and motivated to be talking to people at an earlier stage. That's kind of the first step. And, and then from there, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of situations where people are still tied to that kind of stuck in this reactive mode of we're going to have a good conversation and then hit us up later when you have a need. And that's, you know, that, that very rarely works because that's what's going to happen. That great conversations you had with the CMO six months ago, they're going to forget all about it. They're going to get busy. You're going to get busy. And then they're going to re-bubble this thing to the top six months later. And then whoever happens to be in front of them in their inbox and their search results or whatever it might be is going to be the one that wins the business. And that could be you if you're lucky, but it probably won't be. So a lot of what we're doing is kind of recommending ways for our clients to get people in the door sooner. I mean, for us in our business, it happens to be a paid strategy, an audit, you know, kind of going through their situation, suggesting something helpful, regardless of whether or not to implement it. And, you know, our better clients, whether they're selling big web projects or they're selling, you know, consistent um, marketing services, have usually something to that effect that's kind of specific to their industry. And, you know, this is back to specialization again. That process of figuring out what that thing is becomes a lot easier when you have constraints, you know, when you don't have a million markets you're serving, when you might have like two or three and eventually maybe just one. Um, so that's kind of the first thing from there. And then I can get, I could go a lot further into 
tactical stuff in, in terms of what we're doing and what we're building out, but I'll, I'll leave it to you. <laughs> No, I think that's it's super helpful to hear. And I think that, you know, the you mentioned, you know, sometimes the, the people people's urgency to buy or people's timeline to buy isn't necessarily ours. And we see that across many different industries uh, and different size and types of companies. And at the same time, while it may feel kind of like simple and random that, you know, the the buyer just, you know, follows up with whoever was right in front of them most recently. It's also the solution to sort of getting some of those deals back is is, is almost just as simple. Just continue to follow up. Right. I mean, just, you know, don't go dark and hope that they're going to remember and hope they're going to be there for you uh, when they are ready. Well, we got to take a quick break. We're going to have to pay some more bills. We'll be right back on Sales Property Radio. We got more with Dan Englander. He is the founder of Sales Schema. We're going to be talking about multi-channel marketing, talk a little bit about his podcast. Might even get into a little Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Paul. Maybe we'll see. We'll be right back on Sales Pipeline Radio. Sales teams, is your website helping you turn prospects into customers? Because Intercom thinks it should be. Intercom makes that little chat bubble in the corner of a website. That's their messenger. But it's so much more than that. The Intercom messenger is designed for businesses to jumpstart on customer intent in the moment. It connects you when you're there or automatically books meetings and captures data leads when you're away. You'll sell more, more efficiently. Like Intercom user Elegant Themes. They added the Intercom Messenger to their site, and now they convert 25% of their leads to paid subscriptions through live chat. Just having the Messenger sparked valuable customer conversations that Elegant Themes might not have had otherwise. That's Intercom's whole deal, connecting you to customers while they're on your website with timely, personal insights. Because when customers have a great experience, it's great for business, too. Help your website help you land more customers. Then see everything Intercom can do. Go to intercom.com slash deals today. That's intercom.com slash deals. And we're going to flip it back to my, uh, to Matt see if he can uh, work in all that he promised. All right, well, we're going to try, and I was going to make it harder by asking you a question. So okay. you know, for those of you who know, this is, this is an audio podcast. We don't do the video. This is not the Mike and Mike show on ESPN. Right. Um, and as we're recording this, you know, I always have a video up of Paul in his studio down in Beach Drizzle, California. That's right. So I can see him give me signals on when we need to sort of wrap things up and when you go to commercial. And I just I can't help but notice behind you, Paul, is that a how to play the ukulele? Is that a <laughs> ukulele songbook behind you? That is behind me here. I'm trying to teach myself. Uh, I figure it when I'm sitting at the beach, I got to uh, do something here. So I'm trying to learn the ukulele. It's phenomenal. I thought it's so cool. One of these days, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I love our bumper music. It's that cool guitar riff. One day I want you to do a cover with the ukulele. And that, that could be a very cool transition I, of what we do. I like it. Speaking of transition, you know, we were going to talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but maybe instead we should talk about, did you know that our guest today, Dan Englander, the founder of Sales Schema, he was also previously the hip-hop director Whoa. at KZSC radio station in Santa Cruz. He was the host, wait for it, of the Danger Zone radio show. Ooh. Dan, can you please talk a little bit about... And he's got to talk about the, he's got to talk about the banana slugs up there, too. Well, that may be too. That's true. He did go. To, he did. He did get his bachelor's degree in history at UCSD. So go, banana slugs, go! But I really want to hear more about Danger Zone. Yeah. Yeah. This is like a. This is your life episode. I feel, I feel like if somebody <laughs> shook me and said, "Hey, Santa Cruz didn't happen. It was all just a weird dream, the trip that you had." I, I would have to. I'd have to second guess myself because it, <laughs> it was a, basically a show that first started at three to six a.m. and then I gradually 
you know, got promoted to the 10.30 to 12.30 a.m. slot. And, you know, if you've ever been to Santa Cruz, they have one of the kind of the more classic, like, hippie college radio stations that's been around. And it's this little cabin, you know, out in the Redwoods, basically. So, you know, we would have guests on and everything, and people would, like, rap into the mic. Uh, and that, yeah, that was kind of my, my start with what would become the, the podcast I have now, which I think is probably less exciting than having on a bunch of uh, Oakland rappers all the time on the Danger Zone, but it's, you know helps pay the bills and so on. Well, talk a little bit about what it takes to sort of create in, engaging content today, right? Because, I mean, like, you know, this is Sales Pipeline Radio. We talk about Sales Pipeline stuff. We talk about B2B. Uh, you know, I make fun of Beach Drizzle at the beginning of calls. Sometimes, you know, uh, so, you know, Paul and I will talk about University of Minnesota football and uh, University of Michigan football. Sorry, I got it wrong. See, that's like it's like if you tell me I went to Washington State University, that'd be, that'd be very bad. Sorry about that. Like one of my favorite podcasts in college football is called The Solid Verbal. And partly it's interesting because those guys are funny. They're engaging. Like they, they talk about pop culture. Like they do Q&A episodes during the offseason and half the episodes and half the, half the cues have nothing to do with football. So talk a little bit about like how do you have like a business focused podcast? I mean, you're you've done you've done a lot of print stuff, you've got podcasts, you've done a lot of different media. How do you keep it focused but also keep it interesting? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that's a, like a really good point. And some of my favorite sports stuff, like like Grantland and, and now the Ringer, you know, covers all sorts of different things, and it, it really doesn't it doesn't really clash. Like it kind of weirdly all blends together and has a certain like tone and and brand to it. I think for, for us, it's been about me kind of getting to lord over my own domain and have the people on that I think are going to be fun to talk to about things beyond just business. And then, you know, that sounds selfish and all, but I think it, it creates a more entertaining episode for everyone. So in the past, it's like it's been my friends who have agencies and us having an episode where we're just drinking wine or whatever. And I, but the thing that I'm always negotiating with myself is, is are we going too far into just the stuff we're into? Like, you know, with jujitsu, all my friends and I like try to choke each other three times a week. And I always wonder, is, are these interesting metaphors for people or are these just kind of getting in the way of things? But I, I think you have to have fun with it. The thing I like about podcasts is, is it's just a, a, a much better way, for, at least for me personally, to, to do that for my business because, I, you know, I get to do three birds with one stone. I get to talk to interesting people. I get to create content. And and I basically get to do it in a way that isn't amazingly time-consuming compared to writing like a ten thousand-word blog post or something like that. So that's kind of how I've how I've approached it. Well, if you do it right, I think you basically do write close to a ten thousand-word blog post just with the podcast itself. You know, if you take an edited yeah. version of this, you put it up on your site as Q and A. Should be quite a few decent keywords in there that the search engines like. In addition to the fact, I guess I should say that a lot more people are listening to podcasts, and I, the, the more and more I listen to the successful podcasts, they're not people that have engineered a particular format. They're like, I did something I would listen to. I did something that was fun. I did something I would enjoy. Right. And so I think that to, to follow that, and I think for those that you know maybe say, Ah, I'm thinking about starting a podcast, but I don't really have an angle of strategy yet just get on talk just be yourself if you're going to be successful it's going to be based on not just your insights but your personality your ability to open up and be casual and just have some fun with it yeah yeah exactly and i find it to be a much easier way to handle things to back up a bit like i'm going to be having these conversations anyway if i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing for our clients and for my business i'm going to want to learn what's going on in different areas and and so on. And, you know, obviously some conversations are better to have in private when, when it comes to that. But a lot of this stuff, there's no reason that it can't be helping others at the same time. So I, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. This is just a, a force multiplier. All right. So with my marketing hat on, I can say like this all makes sense. This is a great way to do podcasts, great way to drive engagement. That's all fine and good. As the host of Sales Pipeline Radio, 
And as the founder of Sales Schema, how do I take all this stuff? How do companies justify all of what we're talking about here and say, well, how does this generate pipeline for me? How do you cross the chasm from all of this great engaging content and say, okay, but like my job is not to drive. I mean, we've got a lot of listeners. That's great. But how do I convert that into something I can buy a beer with? Yeah. So, I mean, if we're getting into the, the tactical forest, which we can do with the caveat that it's not going to be, you know, a one size blueprint for everybody, but I can talk about what what's worked for us. And it's essentially mm. been, you know, selling ourselves, uh, giving away stuff that's useful on the podcast and kind of getting people into the loop like that. And then from there, you know, we, we really like to mix it up. So it's not just like we're just interviewing people that we might want to sell to one day, but we're interviewing other people that our clients need to be partnered with and listening to. But I think that if you're just thinking about a podcast as just a way to close deals directly, it's kind of not the right way to do it anyway. I think it's more of a broad frame sort of thing where it might not be the role of the the new business person that just has a sales quota to be the one running the podcast. I think it's more of a CEO or marketing person or a broader role. Because you know, there's a lot of partners, there's people that we can work with, there's other, you know, like we're doing now, like there's other minerals, um, there's potential hires you might make in the future. All of these things can come from the sort of relationships you're developing by having a barrel of ink, you know, in the, in the form of, of a podcast. That's kind of how I think about it. Just a few more minutes here on Sales Pipeline Radio, wrapping up with Dan Englander. He's the founder of Sales Schema. We will put links to uh, his his company website and his content channels as well in the notes for this podcast. Dan, I mean, you've, you've run a, a successful career really from the bottom up, right? You know, starting at the ground up uh, as an account coordinator, moving into uh, more senior roles, and now in your role as founder of your own company. What are some of the – who are some of the people that you've learned from along the way? Uh, they could be authors, professors, managers, people that you might recommend other people check out and learn from as well yeah oh where to begin i'm just looking at my bookshelf right now as, as you know and i think that you know neil rackham his stuff has been big and in, at least as, as we're talking about sales and i think challenger sale is sort of the spiritual successor to that in a, in a lot of ways so that's been helpful in terms of, of real tactical sales stuff it sound cliche but it kind of is what started it all so i tip my hat to Ferris, you know, mm-hmm. um, that started from doing a job and then jetting off to Asia with my girlfriend at the time and, you know, eventually starting a consultancy and everything. So it all started with that damn book, <laughs> for better or worse. And then there's a lot that you learn after reading it. It's, it's not that simple and things have changed, but I, I got to tip my hat to him. In terms of like bigger, more intellectual ideas, Nassim Taleb has been really, been really influential in terms of how to think about risk and how to think about these sort of bigger forces that move the world around. So those are a few things that come to mind. Um, and then, yeah. you know, in my personal life, uh, the, the, the first guy, Will, Will Gadea, who runs Idea Rocket, uh, which is a, a successful animation studio, and I was selling for him originally. And he's not a sales guy, but he was like, hey, man, you're in a sales role. Do you want to, like, figure this out? So he, you know, invested in the training for us and helped me uh, kind of get the initial experience that, that led to everything else. So i got to put my hat to him. Love it. Yeah, and I love your mention of Tim Ferriss. We don't hear that one as often. And I you know, I remember the first time I read the four-hour work week and my initial re- results is like, well, that's all just bullshit, right? And so I think if you try to follow that directly, um, sorry, Paul, we're gonna have to edit, might have to edit that out. But I think you know, if there's components of that that certainly make sense. I came back from my uh, little San Diego vacation a week and a half ago. I have not put my work email back on my phone since then. And I think I might keep it off. I look at it less. I'm less distracted by it. Um, there's nothing I'm missing. I'm still looking at my email when I need to. But uh, I'm also far more in the moment present on the things that I need to be doing when I'm not in my when I'm not in my email, either whether it's at work or whether it's at home. So all those things uh, are super important. We well, want to thank our guest today again, 
Dan England, they're the founder of Sales Schema. We will link to his site and his content channels in our show notes. If you like this conversation, want to listen to it again, or share it with others in your organization, some of your peers and colleagues, you'll find it a couple days up on Sales Pipeline Radio. We will also have a transcript of this conversation up on HeinzMarketing.com in about a week as well. Join us next week and every week at 11:30 Pacific. <laughs> We're featuring some of the best and brightest minds in sales and marketing. I know I couldn't get. I almost. I almost made it. I was distracted <laughs> by the ukulele again, Paul. I apologize, but hey. Thanks for joining us again. For my great producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. We'll see you next week on Sales Pipeline Radio. We're making it in. We're swimming into shore here on the Sales Pipeline Radio Show. Brought to you by Matt Hines and Hines Marketing.